Hi, my name is Alice, and you are listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. How many times have we said something that we regretted or have been hurt by other people's words? In today's episode, The Terrific Turbulent Tongue, Jeremy shares about the power of our words and consequently how we can better manage it so that we can be a light to those around us. Welcome, everybody. Um, if some of you that are a fair amount of you that know me, if you're wondering, where the heck have you been? Um, I had back surgery two weeks ago, and so it was really fun to be worshiping with you guys tonight because I haven't gone to Challenger Church in a couple weeks, so just been singing by myself at home. And um, that sounds about as lame as it really was. And um, so I'm glad to be with you guys here tonight. And uh, yeah, get to get to join and see some faces and, you know, not be by myself. So, um, so tonight, uh, I had a question for you guys. I was just preparing for this. I, how many of you guys have ever heard the phrase before, or maybe said the phrase before, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, that's right. So you have heard of that. Um, and if you've ever heard of that, or if you've ever said that, the ironic thing is usually it's coming from someone who is like very angry or holding back tears, you know, like sticks and stones may bring my bones, words will never hurt me, you know, and which just kind of goes to show that the phrase actually isn't true. Um, you know, for myself growing up, uh, I, I was a fairly, what you'd probably call a fairly rough and tumble kid growing up. Um, I played with sticks and stones quite a bit when I was a little kid. Uh, every stone was, you know, a pretend grenade. And of course, every stick was a pretend sword. I mean, my mom would have to I have to get all my swords out of my shorts pockets, you know, before dinner time. And then, of course, if it was a curved sword or a curved stick, then it was a fake gun, you know. And uh, and that was just that was just what I did growing up. Uh, me and my brothers played with sticks and stones all the time, and we got lots of bruises and cuts and scars from them. But luckily, because we drink a lot of milk, we got no broken bones from playing with all these things. At least that's what my mom said. That's why. Um, and now, while those events, you know, at the time were painful, and I have the scars to prove it, um, I don't really think about those events very much anymore. And when I do think about them, they're kind of just something that me and my brothers, and we just laugh at. It's not, there's no real painful memories associated with it. Um, But words, words are a little different story. You know, I'm still impacted to this day by words that uh, people have said to me and words that I've said to other people. You know, as far as words uh, spoken to me, growing up, I kind of had a mixture of both positive and negative ones. you know, negative ones, like I, I was singled out fairly often for being the only white kid in my school and being a fairly pale one at that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm 36 now. I've come to grips with my paleness. And um, I'm also grateful that my kids got my wife's olive complexion. And so they will probably uh, be less uh, made fun of as a result of that. Um, but, you know, it got so bad to a point that I actually bought a bottle of this, like, lotion that, you know, it's supposed to like stain your skin. And, uh, and I put it on me thinking like, I'll, I'll be tan now. Of course, I didn't have much money. So I bought like a cheap bottle and I didn't put it on probably properly. So I had those splotchy tans everywhere. Um, luckily it didn't last that long, like I said, because it was cheap, but, uh, I just so wanted to not be the pale white kid. Um, I also had positive words spoken to me, you know, over time as well. Like like this, for instance, this is one time um, when there were people over our house and 
my dad just kind of said this in passing. I don't even know if you remember saying this, but uh, he just remember he just said, uh, you know, oh Jeremy, he's got a real zest for life, and I really liked about him. And and I just remember hearing that, and I still think about that as day. Like that's right, I do have a real zest for life, <laughs> you know. And that's just kind of what I consider as part of you know my identity. That's just who I am. Um, but when it comes to words that I've spoken to other people uh, growing up, unfortunately, it's not so much of a mixed bag of positive and negative. It's it's mostly just negative. Um, now, don't get me wrong. My words are funny. Uh, I, uh, I usually said funny things, but unfortunately, it was at the expense of others. Um, I have a very quick mind, but unfortunately, I have an even quicker tongue. And so I had a, that was an interesting combination growing up. I had the incredible ability, and still do to this day, of being able to turn just about anything I wanted into a joke at someone else's expense. Um, and if I couldn't figure out how to do that, I would figure out what their buttons were, and I would push them just right to annoy them. And I did that just because I thought it was funny. Um, mostly with my siblings, but even with a lot of times with my friends as well. And when my parents and others would tell me that it was wrong and I would get in trouble for it, I didn't really think it was that big a deal, um, to be honest. And um, until one day in junior high, um, I'm at recess with my friends and uh, a friend of, of mine and I were we're doing what junior high boys do a lot of times, and we're sitting there just making fun of each other in a group, and people are laughing and going back and forth. And I start making fun of his ears. And I said they would be normal size if he was an elephant. And then I began to go on and on and on and just kind of lay into my friend. Um, but I took it too far. And eventually, I have my preteen friend here bawling like a baby because I had roasted him so hard. And all my other friends who were laughing at this at the time turn on me and they're like, how could you? And I was like, ah, yeah. And, uh, and it was, yeah, it was bad. Um, and I apologized to my friend and eventually we continued to be friends. But being the slow learner that I am, uh, it took something kind of that intense till I began to realize it might be true that there is more power to my words than I initially thought. Um, so tonight we're continuing in our series, Real Faith, in the real world. And we're gonna be working our way through what we've been working through, a first century letter uh, written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And in this letter, James, as you guys have been here for the series, you guys kinda of already know if you're new to this, this letter of James that he wrote to a bunch of first century Jewish Christians that were kinda of spread throughout the Mediterranean. And in this letter, he shares just a wealth of wisdom that uh, he had heard and, and saw modeled by his half-brother, uh, Jesus, his older brother, who was now his savior and Lord because he saw him rise from the dead. Um, and the one thing I love about uh, the book of James is it's so practical and straightforward because he knew that the people he was writing to, they needed to know how they could walk by faith as followers of Jesus in a very nitty gritty, rough world that was rarely pain-free and often fairly difficult. Um, and yet James tells us and tells to the people back then that, there's still great hope to be had, that God is still working and we can actually grow in our faith and our joy as time goes on, rather than grow more skeptical and cynical. Um, so for those of you taking notes, I've entitled tonight's talk, The Terrific Turbulent Tongue. And yes, I did have to use it the source to come up with that, um, but I really wanted alliteration. And so I was like, what, where? you know, and so it took a while. So that may be the best thing I say all night because it took so long, that took the majority of my prep time. Um, and so we're going to look at James's assessment of the tongue in James chapter three, verses one through 12. And then based on that, uh, we're going to talk about 
what can we, what can we do about that? What do we do with this? Um, now, normally when a speech is given, you kind of lay out a bunch of stuff and then you give like an application or two at the end. And this particular section of James's writing, he kind of starts off with an application and then goes on with why that application is so true and important. Um, so James 3.1, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, some theologians think that in James' situation, kind of like in a lot of cultures even today, that there was this, a presumed honor with being a teacher. Um, and so therefore, there was a lot of people that were wanting to become teachers. Um, but what James is saying here is, hey, not so fast. You know, don't be too eager to want to be a teacher because teachers, including James himself and including myself, they're going to be judged more strictly by God. Now, this is not to say that those who aren't teachers won't be judged more, won't be judged strictly by God for their words. Um, that's, that's not true because it says in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus himself says, he says, but I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. So every one of us is going to have to give an account for every single word we've ever spoken. I don't know if that, that thought, if you've ever read that verse, that thought's ever just sunk in your head. For me, um, I'm not exactly looking forward to that conversation. I mean, I know it's not a salvation issue, but just thinking back on all the things I've said up to this point in my life, I don't really want to add much more to it that I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account for. Um, and on top of that, James says, teachers will be judged even more strictly. And what that looks like, I don't know, but given that I teach, I take that pretty seriously. Um, so for those of you wanting to be listened to, those of you wanting to teach in some capacity, eventually, especially if it's relates to God's word, that's, that's not a bad aspiration. I would just encourage you to approach it with a sober assessment. It's easy to see the privileges and not the weighty responsibility that it comes with teaching. And not only that, but words are the primary tool of a teacher. And as James is going to continue to explain, um, that's a fairly problematic thing and being able to control our words. And so, so James goes on to say, we all stumble in verse two in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault with what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So James has moved away from just talking about teachers and he begins to address all of us. He says, hey, every one of you guys, you know, including myself, you know, we've all stuck our foot in our mouths and said things we probably shouldn't have said at one time or another. And the reason we have is because controlling our mouths is a really hard thing. So much so that James says that if there was such a person who could control everything they ever said and was never at fault in what they said, they would basically be perfect because they probably never sin with any other part of their body because controlling your mouth would probably be the hardest part of your body to control. And of course, we all know there is no such a person except for Jesus himself. So what James is basically saying to his first century audience here and to you and me is he's saying that controlling your tongue it's probably the biggest mark of, um, that you can see, identifying mark of what someone um, is growing as a maturing disciple of Jesus. Someone who's becoming more and more like Jesus, uh, they're going to be marked by someone who has the ability to control their tongue. In fact, uh, if you remember what he says in James 1.26, um, earlier on, he says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. And, and this is so important, guys, because this is very easy in Christian, you know, cultures and, and groups like that to kind of think that, you know, if you learn a lot of Bible information, not that learning Bible information is bad, or that you know a lot of doctrine, not that that's bad either. 
um, that that's kind of the biggest mark of a maturing Christian. And yeah, you know, you probably need to control your mouth, but that's not quite as important or indicative of your growing in maturity. But what James is saying here is that's, that's totally wrong. Um, he says, you show me a person who is getting control over their tongue, and I will show you a person who's maturing and becoming more like Jesus. And if you aren't learning to control your tongue and you think you're maturing, you probably need to check your definition of what maturity actually looks like. That's right. See, that's what I'm talking about. See, I, we need more of that. Come on. There you go. Um, and then James continues and he says, uh, in verse three through five, he says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. So James here, he's giving three illustrations of things his first century audience would have been very familiar with, you know, horses, ships, and fires. And now all three of these being examples of very large and very powerful things being controlled by very small things, little bits in the mouths of huge horses, little rudders turning huge ships, and then small sparks that are creating massive fires. And his point is, our tongues are the same way. You know, a small part of our body, but making great boasts and having incredible impact in our lives. But a subtle thing worth also noticing in all three of these examples is notice whoever's controlling the small thing determines what that large and powerful thing actually does. Whoever's guiding the reins connected to the bit in the horse's mouth determines where that horse goes. Whoever's steering the ship determines whether the ship makes it to its destination or whether it crashes into a rock. Um, And whoever lights that spark determines what the fire will do. You know, if it's a pyro guy playing in a field like we see here in California sometimes, it's probably going to create a massive brush fire. Um, Or if it's a person lighting a bonfire at the beach, you know, that fire serves as a source of heat to people that are getting cold. And in the same way, whoever's controlling our tongues will determine how it's used. But we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So James continues and he says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. (laughs) Who who speaks like that? I mean, don't you love James just how like just passionate and direct he is, you know? Um, So not only is the tongue very powerful, Uh, even though it's such a small part of our body, but it has, according to James, a natural tendency towards evil. And when you back up and look at James' entire letter, you see examples of this strewn throughout. I I listed some here for you to kind of see what he says throughout, you know, the book of James already. He says, the tongue has a tendency towards anger. See in chapter one, verse 20, towards self-deception. In one twenty-six, towards being offensive. In two six, towards quarreling and boasting and bragging. And then in chapter five, verse 12, even in swearing, which makes sense because what James's brother, Jesus said years before that, in Luke 6, 45, he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, you know, what is in your heart will come out in your speech. And I don't have it up here on the screen, but uh, look up sometime Matthew 15, 19, where Jesus kind of lays out a list of a lot of the junk that all of us have inside of our heart. You know, and when you look at that list, it's no surprise that we say some of the things that we say. And if this isn't thoroughly discouraging, James would say, cheer up, it gets worse. Not only do we have tongues that are naturally bent on evil, but there is evilness, but that evilness will get not only 
the tongue's in trouble, but it'll get our entire body in trouble. For instance, when I say something I shouldn't to my wife, Katie, my tongue doesn't get in trouble. My whole body gets in trouble. Um, you know, if you say, if you have a job and you say something you shouldn't to your boss, your mouth doesn't get fired. Your whole body gets fired. Um, you know, Proverbs speaks to this on several occasions. In Proverbs 12, 14, and this verse you ought to memorize, it might save your job someday in the future. Um, it says, from the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. What that verse means is basically your ability and my ability to get and keep a job has just as much to do with your mouth that has, has to do with your skill level and your work ethic. And I've seen this to be true firsthand in several occasions in jobs I've had, you know, in the past. You know, in my first job, uh, my first business job after college, before I came on staff with Challenge, uh, there was a guy that was in a similar position as me that had his MBA already. And um, he had already been at the company longer than I had. And I just had my bachelor's at the time. And he, over time, was getting promoted at a slower rate than I was simply because he couldn't handle his mouth. Um, and then in my second business job I had, I had a coworker who was kind of the head of marketing. And this lady graduated from Harvard. I mean, she was very smart and very skilled, but she eventually got fired because she couldn't handle her mouth around the bosses. And then Proverbs 13.3 puts it even more on a bottom shelf. It says, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Okay, James. So at this point, you've said that our tongues are powerful, that they're hard to control, that they're, they have far-reaching impact, and that they are bent on evil. So what's the silver bullet, James? You know, what, what do we need to do to kind of fix this mess so that we, you know, don't get ourselves in, in a lot of trouble and that we can move on and, and focus on other stuff? To which James would probably say, unfortunately, it's not that simple. I've got more. Um, so he goes on in verse seven and eight and says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. In other words, as humans, we may have the ability to have basically virtually have the entire animal kingdom um, tamed in some form or fashion, but the tongue, it's not something that humans, we have the ability to tame. At best, the tongue can be managed, but it can't be fully controlled. It's kind of like the raptors here in Jurassic Park, you know, pre-Chris Pratt, you know, because Chris Pratt and Jurassic World figure out a way to tame them. I'm talking about before that, you know, in the original movies, these raptors were so powerful and so deadly that, you know, they couldn't be controlled at all. At best, they could be heavily guarded and they were never given freedom to roam anywhere because if they did, there'd be dead bodies everywhere as we saw in the first few movies. Um, and what James is saying here is that's the same way with our tongues. You know, you can't control them at best, very best. You can hope to manage it. Then James concludes by saying in verse nine through 12, he says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What James is saying here is, guys, there's something unnatural about our tongues. Just like it'd be unnatural to see fresh and salt water come out of the same spring or fig trees, you know, be growing on olive 
branches or stuff like that. It's unnatural for both praise to God and curses to people to come out of the same mouth. Now, intellectually, I'd imagine every one of us would probably agree with that statement. We're like, yeah, that seems kind of unnatural. And yet in practice, we're guilty of this all the time. You know, we'll sing praise songs here to God, you know, worshiping him for how amazing he is. And then we'll go home to our roommates and our friends and our families. And it'll just be snarky and sarcastic and unkind. And yet we see those as two completely different events. And yet what James is reminding us here is, no, 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 no. They, they aren't disconnected events. They're coming out of the same place. They're coming out of your mouth. And not to, uh, not to mention Jesus during his ministry, one of the things he did is he forever connected and forever fused loving God and loving people as if they were two sides of the same coin. So when we're cursing people that are made in God's image, what we're essentially doing is we're cursing God. And what James is drawing our attention to is that is not how God intended it to be. As followers of Jesus, all those, the evil words and all the things you've been talking about, all the, the stuff you put under the category of just bad speech, what all that is, that is leftovers of the sinful nature that we left behind when we decided to follow Jesus. And that's not who we are anymore if you are a follower of Jesus. What we are is this. We are a new creation with a new nature given to us by God. And our mouths need to learn to catch up with our new life and faith in Christ. Let's say that again. Uh, we are a new creation with a new nature given to us by God. And our mouths need to learn to catch up with our new life and our faith in Christ. But how? How do we you know, manage a seemingly unmanageable and powerful part of our body that seems so bent on evil and just seems so unruly? Well, unfortunately, in this passage, James doesn't really give us a lot of solutions to that. So I figured I'd probably better not give you any solutions either. So I'm going to pray and we're going to bite the band to come back up. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind doing that actually. No, um, but uh, no, while James doesn't directly give us help on this matter, fortunately, other parts of the, uh, of the Bible do. And so we're going to talk about that for a little bit. Um, you know, for me personally, ever since I made my friend cry back in junior high, I have been, I have begun the slow and arduous, but, but progressing journey of learning how to control my mouth. Um, and at times I've even begun to use it for what God intended it for in the first place. Um, and what's in line with my new nature and faith in Christ. So in wrapping up, I want to give you three suggestions that you can begin to do to work on managing your tongue. Uh, and again, coming from someone who has been working on this for a while, has not perfected it, but I've seen these help me begin to move the needle a little bit and make some progress. Um, three suggestions. Remember, surrender, confess. Remember, surrender, confess. So first, remember. You know, we, we need to remember that the power of our words, or the, the power of our words and how dangerous they can be if, if left unmanaged. You know, Proverbs 12, 18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Um, I have a, a five-year-old son named William. And my son and I, if you've ever been to our house, we have a lot of swords around our house, you know? And we like to play sword fights quite a bit. And we like to play them because he's five years old and I still act like I am five. And so we have a lot of good time playing sword fights. Um, but we only have two kinds of swords around our house, plastic swords and foam swords. Um, and the reason for that is I don't want him to get hurt and I don't want to get hurt. And so we play with these kind of swords. 
But can you imagine if one day I brought home like two razor sharp samurai swords and say, hey, William, want a sword fight? You know, I would be dead at this point because William is not very gentle in his swinging of swords, you know, like with how often he hits me. Um, and yet we forget all the time that our words are not like plastic swords. You know, we think, oh, it's okay if I'm kind of willy-nilly. And if I hit someone, no big deal. It may hurt a little bit, but it's just a plastic sword. But not so. Actually, your words are a lot more like samurai swords, incredibly sharp, incredibly powerful, and you ought to be careful how you wield them. So as you seek to regularly remember the power of your words, for good or for evil, I'd encourage you to practice two things that have helped me. Be slow to speak and speak less. Be slow to speak and speak less. If you will be slow to speak, as James recommended earlier in his letter, you will have more time to evaluate and to think about what you're about to say and whether that's something worth saying. And if you speak less, you will naturally sin less with your mouth. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. As I began the journey of being to kind of control my mouth, this is one of the very first verses I ever memorized on it. One, because they're short. And two, because it was so brilliant. I was thinking like, that's such a brilliant thought. You know, by pure percentage chance, if you speak less, you're going to sin less with your mouth. And I thought, makes sense to me. And uh, so I began to talk less. Um, now I'm not saying you need to be a mute. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm just saying talk less. You know, now if you think, I talk a lot now. You, you know, ask my parents or people that knew me when, you know, junior high and below, I never shut up. I was always talking, you know? And so, so just learn to talk less and learn to speak slowly. So the first thing, remember the power of your words. And then secondly, surrender, surrender. You know, as I said earlier, what's probably the most determinative of where the horse or the ship or the fire will go is who's controlling the bit or the rudder, they're holding the match. And James has made pretty clear that you and I as human beings, we're not up to the task of controlling our own mouths. So what are we to do? Well, we have to choose to surrender control of our mouths to the one who has made our mouths and the only one who actually has the ability to control our mouths and use it for good. So we need to, and I'll put up on the screen, we, we wanna daily surrender our mouths to God and ask for his help and follow his leading on how to use our mouths. We want to daily surrender our mouths to God and ask for his help and follow his leading on how to use our mouths. You know, two verses that I'd encourage you, you know, to memorize that, um, that I memorized and, and I, I use these often when I'm, you know, submitting and surrendering my mouth to God uh, each day is Psalm 141.3 and Psalm 19.14. Psalm 141.3 says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. This is a verse I, I quote pretty regularly and pray over myself, particularly when I'm going to be speaking in front of a group like this, because I think, God, don't let me say anything stupid. You know, don't let me. And if I do, let him forget it, you know. Um, and, uh, and then Psalm 19.14, this is just one I, I pray, you know, pretty regularly uh, most days, just as part of my prayer routine each morning as I'm surrendering to God. Um, it says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So in surrendering our mouths, we not only want to submit um, our mouths to God and ask for his help, but we want to follow his lead on how to use our mouths. 
Um, and I guarantee you, one of the main things that God will lead you to do with your mouth as you follow him is to become one of these. Wait for it. Not a Lego, but a master builder. You know, that is what God wants every one of you. That is part of his will for every one of you is to become one of those with your mouth. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says this. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. You know, every single day, you and I get to decide, am I gonna be a builder today? Or am I gonna be a destroyer with my words? And what decides whether you're gonna be a builder or a destroyer with your words is gonna start off with who's gonna be in charge of your mouth that day? You or is it gonna be God? Now notice this verse also says, building others up according to their needs. So see what Paul who wrote this, he, he's not saying you need to just say a bunch of generic, nice little words, like never say anything, you know, other than flowery language. That's what it means to be a master builder. You know, every day is awesome. No, he's not saying that. Um, what he's saying is you want to get to know people well and you have their best interest at heart. And you want to know, begin to know situationally as you get to know them, what's going to be the most helpful thing to build them up in this particular situation. You know, sometimes it might be, you know, an, an attaboy or an girl. you know, like, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. You can do this. You know, other times it's going to be maybe a helpful word of advice. Um, or there may be other times, maybe it's even correction. Or there might be a, a lot of other things that could be in terms of what's going to be helpful to build them up in that particular situation. But either way, as we surrender our mouths to God and we begin to follow his lead, we want to be master builders with our words. We don't want to be destroyers. So we want to remember, we want to surrender, and then finally, we want to confess. You know, as followers of Jesus, as we kind of embark on this lifelong journey of learning to align our mouths with our new nature, we're going to make a lot of progress, but I guarantee you, we're also going to make a lot of mistakes. You know, um, we're not going to do this perfectly. That's, uh, that's just part of the game. But when we do mess up, we need to confess up and get it cleaned up. You know, when we mess up, we want to fess up, confess up, and get it cleaned up. And I can tell you from personal experience that when you own your own words, instead of making excuses for them or brushing them off or acting like, you know, it didn't happen or kind of hoping people forget, um, I can guarantee you from personal experience, two things for sure will happen, maybe more. First, it will allow your relationships to remain intact and continue to grow rather than deteriorate. And second, it will begin to curb the bad speech coming out of your mouth because it's humbling to have to sit there and confess and clean up things that you've said and have to apologize to another person. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not like confessing and having to apologize to other people. I've done it a lot. It doesn't get any easier. You know, I have to drum it up every time. Like, nah, you, you probably don't need to ask forgiveness in that. No, nah. and then, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And then, and then I do, you know, I thought about asking this, but it'd be too embarrassing. How many people in this room, if they wanted to raise their hand and I, you know, had to apologize to and confess to you about that? No, I'm not going to do it. Um, cause the whole room would probably raise their hand. Um, I don't even, I've never even met you and you raised your hand. How's that possible? But, um, well, the point being though, I found that I, I tend to say less dumb things if I make a commitment that I'm just going to choose to confess and get it cleaned up if I do say something I shouldn't with my mouth. Um, not only because it's wrong, but I just don't want to have to clear things up. 
So I'd rather just not say dumb things in the first place. Um, so we want to commit to confess every time when we mess up and then get it cleaned up. Now, just imagine for a second, if it's that difficult to control our tongues as human beings, just imagine as followers, how much we would stick out if we began to control our mouths, even if it's just for a little bit. As the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, we would shine like stars in the universe if we even learned to do something like control our mouths. If we learned to daily remember and surrender and confess. And not only would our own lives get better, but we would probably begin to become reasons for why people are deciding to follow Jesus rather than excuses for the reasons they choose not to follow Jesus. I've never met a person yet that said, that Jesus guy, that's the reason I just don't like him. It's usually people that claim to be followers of Jesus that people don't like. You know, Imagine if that was different for a change. Our tongues are incredibly powerful and they can be incredibly destructive, but with God's help, we can begin to use them to build others up and to really bring glory to God, which is what our tongues were meant for in the first place. And we can begin to align our mouths with our new nature and our new faith in Christ as we begin to follow him in that. So let me pray and invite the band back up and ask that God to really help us to be those kinds of people and he can help us control our mouths. Father, I, um, I'll admit this is a really hard area for me. Um, not surprising to probably anyone hearing this, but, uh, but God, I, I so want to um, use my mouth for what it was intended for. And I don't want to um, be a destroyer with my mouth. I really want to build people up with it and not to have both praise and cursing coming out of it. And I imagine there's a lot of men and women here tonight too that feel the same way. And God, we need your help. So would you help us to remember uh, the power of our words, especially if we're in places of just influence that those words tend to weigh even more. Um, and then God, would you also uh, take our mouths as we surrender them to you and really use them for their intended purpose they're meant for as we choose to follow you and just submit to you daily in that. And then God, when we do mess up, which we inevitably do, would you help us to confess to you and to the, whatever parties need to be confessed to and ask for forgiveness and ask for help and then clean it up and move on. And God, would you help there to be an upward trend of just the way we use our mouths and may that bring glory to you and may that draw people to want to experience life with you and begin to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us in all of your favorite podcast platforms like Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Spotify, where you can also give us a review so that we can get these resources into the hands of other people. We meet every Thursday night at the campus of the University of Southern California, so get involved and find out more about us and our upcoming events, like our Fall Discipleship Conference and our weekly small groups on our Instagram at USC Challenge and our website, uscchristianchallenge.com. Um...